So we're praying that this is a message that we take to us as we go home this morning. And it is the title of this morning's message. Stand with me as we read God's word this morning in Luke 15, 31. And Jesus is talking here and he said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. If you believe that, say amen. amen. If you've quoted that, say amen. amen. If you've made that your key verse, say amen. All that the Father has is ours, and we believe it. Father, today I pray that it becomes more than a belief. It becomes a reality that we walk out with your favor, your power, and all of the kingdom of heaven this morning. We, just leave, we don't just leave a building this morning. We walk out of this place, and we don't just say we're leaving home, but we're going home, and we're taking home with us as we leave. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Y'all stay standing just for a minute. I'm going to break up the chain this morning. Everybody say, give me a G. G. Give me an O. O. Give me an H. H. Give me an O. O. Give me an M. Give me an E. E. What does that spell? Go home. home. No, not really. I don't want you to go home. I want you to hear the message of go home this morning. Because it really should be entitled more than go home, but go with home out into the lost and dying world. And we make a place for the Father to come because who Jesus was and is, we now are. Can I get an amen on that? If you believe it, give God a hand clap of praise this morning. I, I didn't say be seated. Come on. I'm just playing. Y'all can be seated this morning. And so we're excited what God has for us this morning as we kick off the final message of this series called Go Home. I want you to, I want you to be reminded of this because this isn't something that we're just going to stop after this series. This is the theme for the whole year, which is home. And I want you to know this, that you are not a project to be fixed. You are a person that I love and I am excited to see what God has in store for your life. Amen. You are a person who is important to me. You are a person who is important to TWBC. More than that, you are a person who is so important to the Father that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, just for you. Not for the world as we would read it, but for you as an individual. I know this beyond a shadow of doubt. If you were the only person on this earth, he still would have sent his son just for you to change all of humanity through you. So you are not a project to be fixed to us. You are a person to be loved. And when you walk through the doors of TWBC, I pray that you can just immediately, I I hope before you even get to the doors and when you drive on the parking lot and you drive in, you say, wow, this feels exactly like home. And when you go home, you don't get all dialed up and you don't get all, all amped up. You actually relax. You kick your shoes off. You take off all the guards of the day that you use to defend and protect yourself. You take off your spiritual makeup and you come to a place where you can relax. But for some reason when we walk into a church house, it's just the opposite. We got to dress our finest. We got to put on our spiritual makeup, make everybody think everything's perfect in our life. And it feels like anything but home. In fact, it feels like a stuffy dinner or or banquet that you do not want to be at and you can't wait till it's over with i believe it's time we change the stigma of what home is really like amen and that's what we're going to do with this message today we're going to take it out and we're going to change what the stigma of home is really like what is environment of home home is where the presence of the father is and i pray that you felt the presence of the father this morning as you've been in this place through worship 
and through prayer and through kneeling at the altar. I pray that you felt the presence of the Father this morning because home is where the presence of the Father is. Homelessness is the absence of the presence of the Father. And I can't tell you how many worship services that in my lifetime that I've sat through where it felt more homeless than home. So today at TWBC, I want you to make a decision in your life that, that, that you're going to make a, 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 a serious decision that when you walk in this door, it doesn't just feel like home to you, but it feels like home to everybody who walks through these doors. It feels like home to the person you don't know and to the person you've known since the first day you've walked in. It feels like home to the person who looks just like you, acts just like you, and smells just like you, and it makes the person who doesn't look just like you, act just like you, and does not smell just like you, feel at home. I need a better than a one amen on that one, okay? I need a big amen on that one. Give me an amen. And so we want this place to feel like home. So we're going to jump right into it now this morning. And the Bible, and, and we've gone on this, pre, uh, this premise over the past few weeks, who Jesus was and is, we now become. And we've talked about this. This door represents the covenant. This door represents Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our pathway, our access to the Father. And so through Jesus Christ, we now have access over here to the Father, over here in a place of sonship. And we sit here and we're with the Father, Ephesians 2 says it, we've been seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places so we can experience all that God has for us. And so Jesus is our pathway to the Father, but who Jesus was and is, we now become. So we now become the Father's pathway through this into the earth. So who Jesus was and is, we now become. Jesus was and is the covenant, our pathway to the Father. We are now the Father's pathway because we are in covenant with him. So the Father and the kingdom of heaven can get to this place that we call earth. And so we want to understand that Jesus is the pathway for us to the Father, but we are the Father's pathway to the earth. We've said this, God doesn't need a lot in the natural. He just needs a pathway to it because whenever God came in and touched the natural, it became supernatural. That's how he fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. That's how four men, if they just picked up their friend on the mat, they could carry him before Jesus. And Jesus said, take up your mat and go home. That's how Jairus just said, Jesus, just say the word. That's how the woman with the issue of blood her life was transformed because Jesus was the pathway to the Father. And the Father didn't need a lot in the natural. He just needed access to the natural for the kingdom to come and be at hand. And that's what Jesus did. And so if we are and um, if, if who Jesus was and is, we now become. And we are the Father's pathway to the earth. What is next? What's next? We love hearing all about this. We find out who we are in Christ. But then what is next? Next, John 15, 15 and 16 says this, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Everybody say friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you. That's a good word. I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. That sounds a lot similar to what we just read. And the Father says, son, all that I have is yours. And so Jesus said the same thing in John 15. That you may ask the Father anything 
and he may give it to you. Now, I want to stop right here for a moment and go back to the front of that verse. And it says, I no longer call you slaves, but friends, because a slave does not know the master's business. Now, I want to break down that term friend for just a second, because in the American vocabulary, it is a very weak term. In the vocabulary of the United States in English, the word friend is a very weak term because I have somebody who I can call my friend who is a ride-or-die homie who is going to go with me to the grave. And I also got somebody who I can call friend who's somebody I met in Walmart five days ago, and they know me, and I kind of know them, and, and we've had a little relationship, and they're like, well, they're my friend, right? And it's kind of like I love chocolate and I love my wife. <laughs> it's the same word love. But there's a complete different meaning in the word love. The English language is very, very not good at translating the concepts of the Bible. And so we must understand when it says, I no longer call you slaves, but friends. This term friend is not more, it's more or less not just friend, like, 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 like Sheila and I are friends. This term friends is more like along the lines of we came into a contract and now we are business associates. I am now 50% owner in this business that you have given me. I am no longer your employee, but now I'm a partner in the business. That's, that's the real definition of what this is trying to correlate, uh, of the images trying to get across. And so when it says, I no longer call you slaves, but friends, it should be, I no longer call you an employee, but I now call you a business partner in my business is what Jesus is saying. Because slaves don't know the father's business, but Jesus said, all that the father has told me, I have told you. And so you're no longer an employee who does not have, uh, who does not have an investment in here. You are now a business associate, uh, associate who has a vested interest in the father's business. It now means something to you. For those of you who have only ever been an employee all of your life, You've always just worked for somebody. There's never been really a vested interest. You give them your time. They give you your paycheck. You go home. We're even. We're square. But if you have ever owned a business or if you've ever been partners in a business, you know this. There is a lot more to it than getting a paycheck and going home. You know you never get to clock out. Come on, give me an amen. You know you never uh, get to say that's somebody else's problem because now you're no longer an employee. You are a partner. It's your problem. There is no such thing as a small problem. Can I get an amen? amen. And if you don't sweat the small stuff, you're going to end up with an avalanche on the other side. And so in everything, you, you, are, you are bearing the weight of the business because you're no longer a slave, but you're now a business partner over here. See, it's the same story in Luke where it's the story of the prodigal son. Jesus said, I no longer call you slaves, but friends. But the prodigal son came home and said, I will go to my father and I will say, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your slaves. And the father said, I have no business with ignorant talk, so bring him a robe. That means righteousness and forgive him, uh, righteousness and forgiveness. Bring him a ring, which means authority. Bring him sandals, which means sonship, and kill the fatted calf because we're going back into covenant together. And now he is full owner again with me and this other son in the business of the father. So when Jesus says here, I no longer call you slaves, but friends... He says, I'm making you a business associate in my father's business. 
So get ready, church. You're no longer a hireling in the kingdom of God. You are no longer a servant in the house of God. You are a full-fledged, full-owner, business associate with God the Father Almighty. And it's time we start handling daddy's business. Amen? And it's time we start doing the business of the Father. This is why in Matthew, the very last chapter, 28, it's called the Great Co-Mission. It's not commission. It's not commissioned like I've commissioned you. It's Jesus said, I have a mission, and you're my partner, so now it's a co-mission. Some of y'all get that. That's a message down the line. I already got that series planned. It's not, it's, not, it's not Jesus saying, you go. You just go. He's saying, no, it's my mission. You're now my partner. So because we're co-owners, it's now a co-mission. And you don't go with just what you got. You get to go with all the stuff I got because now we're equal partners in his business. We're equal partners because he says we're joint heirs with Christ Jesus. So when he says, I no longer call you slaves, but friends, he says, you're no longer an employee, but you're a business partner. You're coming in and you're fully vested. All that I have is yours. All that you have is mine. All that the kingdom has to offer, it's yours, Joel. You're my pathway to earth. And so because we're in business together, it's a co-mission. We're in this mission together. It's time that we make a decision. And what is the Father's business that we're going to accomplish? What is the Father's business? There's a lot of discussion. Well, what is, what is God's business? Is it feeding the hungry? Is it being anti-abortion? Is it being a person who just stands up for what's good? Is it being a person who votes politically correct? Is it being a person uh, who, who just does what's right in the moment, has good integrity? What is the Father's business? Well, if we read the Bible, there is no question about what the Father's business is. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter number 4. These are my favorite verses of Scripture in the Bible because this says what daddy's business is. It gives us a clear operating procedure about daddy's business. When you found Luke chapter 4, 16, say, I'm there. Say, go home. We're fixing to go home. We're fixing to go with the home that's on the inside of us. And he came to Nazareth where he had been raised or brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. I'm going to stop right there. A lot of us want to live over here in chair one without making coming home a custom. I'm going to say that again because some of y'all just got mad at me. And I'm going to make you matter. A lot of us, a lot of us want to make Chair one, our home, and be in the area of sonship without making coming home a custom. If you don't make coming home a custom, you're not going to have your recliner at the house. Men, let me ask you this. If you are married and you say, I'm in covenant with this woman and she is the most amazing woman in the history of the world... But you never come home. See, some of y'all mean just got big brownie points. Amen. Come on. Just, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. You had to be here on Wednesday night to get it. I'm just saying. 
and you say, I love this woman. She is the love of my life. She is my everything. But you don't ever come home except for one hour a week. Do you think you're going to have your recliner in the living room like you always say? I'm I'm just asking a question. I'm not saying anything. Some of y'all looking at your wives like, oh, Lord. A lot of us treat Christ the same way. We say, oh, Jesus, I love you. I came in covenant with you. Thank you, Jesus. And you say, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. How are you seated with Christ in heavenly places, but you don't make coming home your custom? Jesus says he went to where he was raised. And as was his custom, this means it was his regular thing to do. Every time the synagogue doors open, he said, hey, I'm going home because I know where my chair is at the house. See, you can't say who Jesus was and is. I now become and not make coming home a custom. Because even when he walked this earth, getting in the presence of the Father was his custom. And so in this, we must realize that as Jesus made coming home a custom, we must make coming home a custom. And when he made coming home a custom, he had a voice in the house. Listen to what it says. It says, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written and it talks about daddy's business. It says, the spirit of the Lord was upon me. Everybody say, the spirit's on me. And say, he has anointed me. Now here's daddy's business. To proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to those who are held captive. Recover the sight of those who are blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, and to proclaim that this is God's year of favor if you are in the house and got a place called home. That's daddy's business. Those are my favorite verses in the Bible because it outlined what Jesus' business was here to do on the earth. That's why his miracles that he did do not surprise me whenever he healed the demonic and legions went out of him. It doesn't surprise me because he said, it is my business and the business of my daddy that we're in co-mission with. It is my business to set captives free and to set liberty to those who are oppressed. He, He knew what daddy's business was. And I could preach, whoo, I could preach 1,500 messages on that because it's my favorite scriptures. But I want to go on because this next part is so important. And then it says, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and went and sat down. (laughs) Y'all didn't even get it. Y'all did not even get it. He read. He stood up and read. Remember we talked about homeless as slaves or people who have had an encounter with God, but their actions and mannerisms don't really match up. In fact, they look more like somebody who has never had an encounter with God. The Pharisees' actions were just like that of a lost homeless person. So Jesus came to the house, which was his custom. He knew what he was doing. He stood up because he had a voice in the house. He read the scripture saying what daddy's business with, rolled the scroll back up, gave it back to the attendant, (laughs) said, I'm going home to sonship, and I'm sitting in daddy's house, and I'm going to sit down. See, a lot of you, when you're in the, you know you're in the house, you have a place to be seated at. And he didn't sit in the regular seat. He sat down in a chair that was reserved for the high priest of God in that synagogue if you were ever show up. And so Jesus said, hey, you can stay lost and homeless. I'm going back home, and I'm taking my seat where I rightfully belong with sonship over here. And he sat down which resembled and signified, I have the authority of God the Father Almighty to do daddy's business. 
in this world. And Jesus told us right then at that point what daddy's business was. Now it's time for you to decide. It's time for you to decide. In your faith, in your faith walk in Jesus Christ, and all the stuff we've learned about of home and sonship and everything and the realities of this world and everything that's over here and who Jesus was and is we now become. Now Jesus said, I have commissioned you. We are joint ventures in this business that is my father's and all that the father has is ours. And so now we as believers, if we really believe who Jesus was and is, we now become. It is now time for us to stand up by faith and make a decision. And this is the decision. Is my faith for or show, or is it really to go and bring home to a lost and dying world? Because a lot of us have a faith that wants to sit over here in a chair and look all prim and proper, and your faith is only for show. Your faith is not to go. We got faith to come to the church house, but not make it home. We got faith to come into a place and worship God and lift our hands. But God didn't say just come here and lift your hands. He said, I don't need a lot in the natural. I just need a pathway to it. But I don't need people stuck in a church building. I need people who are going to leave, go out of a church building with the presence of home, go and take home with them to a lost and dying world so that I don't just change a church building. I change a culture. I change a society. And I manifest a kingdom is your faith for show or is it built to go the book of Ephesians talks about this in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 16 and it says above all everybody say above all taking up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one is your faith for show or to go? Now, I'm fixing to put a bunch of notes on my blog this coming week that I do not have time to go over in this service. But you need to go back and read them because I'm going to do great injustice to this shield of faith. Okay? But I just want to get to the concept of this. Is your faith for show or is it to go and bring home to a lost and dying world? See, the Roman soldier had two types of shields. It had two types of shield. The first one is on your screen. It's a Greek word called aspis, which means for show. And that's whenever they went to parades, and that's whenever they went down the city streets. And after they had a great victory, they would put their battle shield up, and they would grab this shiny, shiny silver shield that, that, that was only about this big that wouldn't defend anything or anyone. And they would carry it, and it would be all shiny and stuff. And that was their shield for show. But then they had another shield. And it was called a Thurios shield. And that was their shield for battle. Their shield for battle was a shield to go with. Their shield for battle was literally a Thurios shield. And the word Thurios means this, a door. The word Thurios means a door. That's what it means. And so the shield that is for show was for praise and celebrations, the shield that was to go was a door. Who Jesus was and is, we now become. See, the Romans didn't even know what they were doing, proclaiming the gospel, even by the shields that they were making. And it was a shield that is to go into battle with. And in this shield, they had to do certain things. The, the shield itself was composed of six layers of leather. It was literally the size of a door. And it was tanned and woven. And it was extremely durable, hard-wearing. And it was almost as strong as steel. 
The care of the shield was of great importance. They would oil their shield every night. Remember, this isn't a shield, it's faith. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. If you are not coming over here in the area home and getting your faith oiled by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, don't expect to go out here and be in this world and say, I just knew who Jesus was and is, that's who I am, and have a dried up, rotted out shield that has not been anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit, according to Acts chapter 2, and think you're going to be this pathway of who Jesus was and is. We are. A lot of people come and sit 30 minutes in church and think that's all they need for a week-long battle. Come on now. I just pray this just sparks your interest. And you go home and your faith gets anointed in the power of the Holy Ghost like never before. And it starts bringing healing and it starts bringing great anointing to dry places in your life. We ain't even talking about other people yet. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. And I pray that, that you basket in the presence of worship, living, pray, lifting praises to the Father. I pray that you basket in the Word of God. I pray that you bathe it in, in, in prayer and in fasting. And so when the time comes that God says, I don't need a lot in the natural, Pastor. I just need you in the natural. Your shield is ready and it's oiled to go. And you bring it out here and you're ready to work. See, God doesn't need a lot in the natural. He just needs a pathway to it. And so they would take great care of their shields. The preparation for battle. Before a battle, after the shield has been soaked in uh, oil day in and day out, and great care has kept to his shield through, or, or his faith, and we'll start calling it his faith, great care has been kept on his faith, and it's been anointed in the oil of the Holy Spirit. When battle time would come, this six-foot shield that's the size of a door, they would no longer soak it in oil they would soak it in water overnight. Water represents the word of God. So your faith that has now been soaked in the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit, when combined with God's word, comes up out of that water with brand new revelation knowledge for the battle at hand that you're about to go face because you're not just in business on your own. You're part of daddy's business. So if we're in daddy's business, it's his job to supply the oil. It's his job to supply the water. It's our job to soak it. It's our job to care for it. And it's our job to pull it up and be ready for when the battle comes. It's his job to supply. It's our job to care for it. And watch what God begins to do when you begin to use your faith in this manner. For maximum effectiveness, this faith must be soaked in oil, cared for in oil daily. But when battle comes, the word of God must be prevalent in there to stick it in the word of God for maximum effectiveness to take place. And watch what God can begin to do. Then the net goes on to say, it says, above all, which means it's a positional term. It doesn't mean first. It says above all because you can hold your shield literally above you. And it's your great protection. It's your faith that's your great protection. It says, grab hold. Or taking the shield of faith, grabbing hold of it, you'll be able to withstand all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, the funny thing about this Greek term, grab hold, literally means this. It doesn't mean to pick up. It means to pick up over and over and over again. I'm going to say that again. Some of you have let your shield of faith lay down on the ground, and you say, and you hadn't picked it back up. Listen, the soldier didn't have his shield on his arm 24-7. Every day he would pick it up and carry it for the journey. 
And it says grab hold of it over and over and over again. Some of you have laid your faith down because of hurts, because of problems, because of trials, because oppressions, because of depressions, because of issues, because of isms, and you've laid it down. Well, the Spirit of God today is saying it's time that you take up your faith again because God said, I don't need a lot in the natural, Joel. I just need a pathway to it. But I need some believers who aren't out here for show, who are ready to go, who are willing to pick up this shield one more time. You remember Carrie Strug. Who are willing to go, go at it one more time and grab up once again this great shield of faith. Because with it, you will extinguish, the Bible says, all. Everybody say all. You know what all means in the Greek? It means all. It means everything. It says extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now in battle, there were three kind of arrows that the, that the enemy used. They would use regular arrows, which are just the, the archer ones where they, when you got the masses of like 5,000 arrows going at once, and they would all land on the shields and not do much damage. Then you would have what they call tar-dipped arrows, where they would dip them in tar, and they would light them on fire and launch them and from a great distance, they could light whole planes on fire. Those aren't the fiery darts the Bible is talking about, though. Because there is a third kind of arrow that the Bible talks about, or the Roman soldiers battled against. These were literally what they called fiery darts or combustible arrows. That on the arrow, they would have a little thing that was filled with combustible fluids, and they would launch them. And from a distance, it seemed like they were just regular arrows. But when they would land or hit something, it would poof and cause an explosion, which is a fiery dart. And if a soldier did not have his shield properly maintained with oil and with water, it could stand up to a regular arrow. It could even stand up to a fiery dart. But if they didn't have it properly maintained and it was dry and it was ratty and it wasn't ready for battle and these fiery darts came, the minute it would hit a shield, it wouldn't just cause a little fire. It would go and cause an explosion. See, most believers don't have a problem when they can see the arrows coming from a distance. Their, their faith is ready for something that they're expecting. Most believers don't have a problem even when the fiery darts or the fiery arrows are coming, the tar-dipped ones, because they see the fire coming. The problem many believers face is when in the moment it's a normal day and you're standing up to the normal attacks of the enemy and an explosion in your life occurs. And that's when you've had to already have the decision made, my faith is not for show, it is to go. And in this world, the Bible says... You will have trouble. So believers should expect that. But the problem many believers face is not so much the trials that are at hand. It's the emotional explosions that take place that we weren't ready for. And we must decide, are we going to be dictated by emotions or are we going to be dictated by faith in that moment when the explosion occurs? Because remember, it looked just like a normal day until the car wreck happened. It looked just like a normal bad Monday morning until somebody sideswiped you and took out the back of your car. It looked like a normal Monday morning until you walked into the office and he gave you your walking papers. It looked like a normal Monday morning with all its regular problems until you came home and the spouse was packed up and gone. Come on. 
It looked like a normal Monday morning until the explosion happened. And when the explosion happened, a believer must then decide, do I get into emotion or do I get into faith? Because I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I know it looks bad over here, but I also know I must keep my eyes fixed over here. I know there's problems over here. And the explosion didn't happen to somebody. It happened to me. So I must make the decision that my faith was not for show. It's to go and I'm going to still stand here because God doesn't need a lot in the natural. He just needs a pathway to it. And I'm going to stand here. And when I've done all I can do to stand, God says, baby, just keep standing because you're not standing in your strength. You're standing in my strength. And I'm going to keep this door open. But here's the thing. If we're about the Father's business, if we're about what the Father wants to do, and taking up a shield that is greater than what we've experienced, the shield that is our faith, Now we are the pathway. We are the door opening. Notice the door opening hasn't moved. But look what faith gets to do. Where faith was here. Now your faith is a shield the size of a door. Where faith was here, you're still the pathway for the Father. But this is what your faith begins to do. Your faith begins to say, I'm moving forward. We're taking up kingdom. And I'm breaking doors. And we're taking up the Father's business. And we're moving forward. And we're stepping over here to the other side. And we're moving forward. And remember, because our shield is anointed with oil and with water, we got all kinds of explosions happening on this side. And we we keep doing, we say, hey, Daddy, this is our business. This is our world. This is our kingdom. We're moving forward. Now, how many of you have friends in these two chairs? How many of you have a friend who's had an encounter with Christ, but they still live in legalism and homelessness? How many of you have lost friends out there? See, the problem isn't so much that Daddy God says, you're my pathway from over here. The issue is, are we as believers going to pick up this shield of faith and move the kingdom of God beyond the point of us and move it to the point of our lost and homeless people who've had an encounter, but then move it on past the point of our lost and homeless people who've had an encounter over here to the lost people who've never had an encounter and say, I will stand here with my faith so that the pathway is here and all of our lost friends then begin to, begin to get to run for cover to the kingdom of God. We must begin to understand that our faith is not for show. Our faith is to go with home, to bring it past our lost and dying friends and set up a standard of home in this earth called TWBC where our friends can say, I went to TWBC and it was nothing less than a pathway to the Father because I felt all of heaven residing in this earthly place. I don't know how it's possible for kingdom to come into earth, but when there's a pathway, come on. When there's a pathway, God says, I don't need a lot, Joel. I don't, need you to even, I don't need you to even begin to tell me about your faith. I just need you to move the door. I just need you to move the door. I just need you to get past yourself on those hinges. Joel, I need you to unhinge yourself from whatever is holding you back. Whatever fear is keeping you stuck at that pathway, I need you to unhinge it and push it past out here into the earth where now my kingdom, as Jesus says, is at hand here in the physical earth. Is your faith this morning a faith that is for show? 
or is it a faith that's ready to go? I don't know about you, but when I look at this chair, I got millions of friends that come to mind. I got family members that come to mind. And yes, I pastor a church, and I got family members that I know are in this chair here, lost. And I got a bunch more friends who have had an encounter with God, but are so bound up by the things of this world and the cares of this world that they think Sunday morning is just enough to get them through. I don't want people any longer thinking it's just enough to get them through. I'm wanting them to come and know that they're the fullness of the kingdom of heaven is available here on earth and be seated with Christ in heavenly places long enough till they realize that they're a pathway, till they, they begin to get their faith that's not for show but to go. And we begin to not just change a church or a city, but we begin to revamp culture and society. Some of y'all are saying, Pastor, that's a lofty vision. I just need one. I just need one. Why do I say that? Because the Bible says wherever two or more agree upon it. I just need one. Jesus said, give me 12 sinners and fishermen and tax collectors. Bring me a Gentile in here. Give me a Luke in here. I'm even going to prove the world. He's going to write a gospel for me. Give me just somebody who doesn't know, they, who knows they're not a lot, but they're willing to be a pathway. Just give me somebody. See, I don't need a lot. I just need somebody who's going to this morning say, I am no longer willing to be a door that's hinged. But daddy unhinged me this morning. Because I don't want to go home. I want to go with home and bring it to a lost and dying world. I'm ready to see revival in a Walmart. Come on. I'm ready to see revival at a Goodwill. I'm ready to see revival in McDonald's line. I'm ready to see revival at a political rally. Come on, somebody help me here. I'm ready to see revival somewhere. But as long as the church is wanting to stay hinged to the door, it ain't going to happen. God says it's time to unhinge yourself, and it's time to walk past the homeless slave. It's time to walk past the homeless lost. And it's time we set up our fortress and a barricade out here and block the fiery darts from the evil so these people have a chance to get to the door. And I'll close with this. You know how you react when a trial or a crisis or an explosion happens in your life. And you always say this, I don't know how I would have got through without Jesus. Right? We all say that. How do you think they feel who don't have Jesus? It's time that we take the eyes off ourselves and we fix them on Jesus because we have been co-missioned to unhinge ourselves from the pathway with this shield and come stand here. Why do you think 24 hours of prayer and fasting is so important? I pray that the first place you go this morning is over there to sign a paper, not up here to the altar. Because you now realize that I'm pushing past for TWEC. I'm pushing past for the kingdom of God. I'm pushing past because we're changing culture and society. Is your faith for show? Or is it to go?